The 630 Chad Afternoon News with Jalen Nye. Weekdays at 2 on 630 Chad. This reaper of death, that's what they're calling it. It was found right here in Alberta. Uh, it's a relative of the Tyrannosaurus Rex. It is the oldest to ever be found in Canada and the first new Tyrannosaur to be discovered here in 50 years. The bones were originally found in 2010, but it wasn't until recently when our next guest was taking a closer look at them that they realized what they were. Jared Voris is a PhD student in dinosaur paleontology at the University of Calgary. Jared, welcome to the show. Yeah, thanks for having me. All right, Jared. So first off, how did you get interested in in um, in in, dinos- in paleontology? What was it about that that you decided that you wanted to make a career out of this? Yeah, I think I feel like every paleontologist or paleo student kind of has the has the same origin story where <laughs> we all. We all start off like really young age, wanting to do like enjoying dinosaurs and everything, fossils and also rocks, that sort of thing. Uh, and I don't think it was any different for me. Um, I remember my mother would always tell me that I like loved Barney as a kid, so that <laughs> might have been the the intro there. But uh, I do remember watching Jurassic Park at a very young age and probably younger than I should have, but I, I thoroughly enjoyed it then. So I guess dinosaurs have just always been something that's interested me. Well, something that uh, intrigued you since uh, being a child and now to be a part of this amazing discovery, what's that like? Uh, it's pretty surreal. It's not something, not a direction that I actually thought would actually, or at least not where I am now with uh, naming the, the new species. It's not something that I ever really expected to really happen. Um, it was definitely something that I would have liked to have done, but it wasn't ever anything that was like, oh, that might not happen. So, okay, other options, I guess. So this um, Reaper of Death, this um, this Tyrannosaurus, um, it's a cousin of the Tyrannosaurus Rex, and you're going to have to say the name for it because I will just mess it up completely. Yeah. So the name is Thanatotheristes, uh, and so yeah, the name translates to the Reaper of Death, and uh, the species name. Uh, Thanatotheristes degrutorum uh, is named in honor of the family uh, that originally found it, John and Sandra DeGroot. Okay, so I want to get to all of that coming up here. What makes um, this this dinosaur different than others in 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 the same family? Yeah, so there's actually quite a bit of features that actually make this thing uh, distinct. Um, without getting into too much anatomical detail and going way over people's heads, uh, some of the major differences that we can just see are. On the upper jawbone, there are these. Um, there's a row of prominent vertical ridges, um, and these are not like anything we've seen in any other Tyrannosaurus species. In fact, its closest relatives do not have them at all. Huh. Um, and then the ones that have similar ridges but not quite the, this same style, in fact, very different from this style, um, include things like T. Rex, Tarbosaurus, and uh, Zhuchang Tyrannus, and that's a lineage that is only found originally at least in Asia, and then we see um, their their last member, Tyrannosaurus rex, actually comes over from Asia and uh, populates North America at the very last stage of the reign of dinosaurs, if you will. So, Jared, what are these ridges for? We're not really sure. Um, My kind of hunch is that it's something to do with display ornamentation, so maybe there's something on the face that they use to make themselves look prettier, (laughs) I guess, Uh, something along those lines. uh, kind of what we suggested for like the artistry and that was being used to yeah. kind of convey this is we suggested some sort of scales, these elongated scales that you can see on the face there that uh, if they have the illustration, you can see that these elongated scales have these prominent ridge there in the middle of them. And that's something that it could have been. And there's certainly other options as well, but 
until we find a mummy of this animal or of other tyrannosaurs, like one that actually preserves all the skin. Um, and so it's unfortunate that we aren't going to be able to know exactly what these features might have been correlating to. Why do tyrannosaurus have such small arms? I, you know, that's a question that's been plaguing <laughs> paleontologists for many, many years. Um, it's, it seems to be a trend that we see in a lot of big meat-eating dinosaurs where once the dinosaurs get bigger, we start to see that their arm, that the groups, that members of those groups' arms start to get smaller. And it's something we see not just in tyrannosaurs, but also in uh, a lot of other dinosaur species in, uh, around the world. So uh, do we know how big this species of the tyrannosaur would have been, uh, how tall it would have been, how much it would have weighed? Could, can you even tell that? Well, we don't have a really good way of estimating the weight, but roughly based on how big it is compared to other animals, um, it would maybe be around 2,000 kilograms. Wow. Something like that. But in terms of like the measurements of the bones themselves, we can do um, some comparisons with uh, length and such like that. So... Um, our best estimates from that suggest that this animal would have been roughly eight meters in length, so roughly the length of two cars. Um, it would have stood roughly two and a half to three meters at the hips, um, and it would have been uh, it would have had a, had a skull of just under a meter in length, wow. or just at around eighty centimeters. With those great big teeth as well, right? Absolutely, yeah. And what's interesting is that based on the the, the size of the animal and some of the bone texturing that we see, it doesn't even look like this animal was fully grown. It was getting close, but it wasn't at its maximum size yet. So we we kind of think that this animal may have gotten to be about um, nine meters in length or somewhere in that range once it got to its full size. So Jared, we know that these have, you know, this this big head, those big teeth and, uh, you know, know, that, that, that taller high-end quarters we always see and, and i'm looking at the the artist um you know picture drawing of it right now always have this big massive tail that looks incredibly strong was that was that tail used for hunting as well yeah so the tail was used for keeping the animal balanced so if you see kind of the, yeah. the, the previous reconstructions like in the ni- early 1900s had uh tyrannosaur dinosaurs and all pretty much all of your two-legged dinosaurs it always had them like standing upright, almost human-like, yeah. with their tail dragging across the ground. But now that we know that that really isn't possible for them to do, and it would have caused severe skeletal issues um, if they had tried that. Uh, but what we now know is that they actually held their spines very relatively straight, going from the tips of their tail all the way to the base of their neck. Hmm. And so what that tail actually was used for was actually keeping balance with the rest of its body. Um, so it also gave a little bit of pull towards their leg muscles because the tail muscles would have attached behind the leg. Mm. So it would have been strength to pull, so it would have helped in, in walking as well and movement um, in many ways. But also, yeah, just providing a, a counterbalance for uh, the rest of the animal's torso, as it sat, or it, which was towards the front of the, the animal. Very cool. Okay, so let's go back to 2010 when parts of this dinosaur's skull and jaws were discovered. Tell us about where it was, how much of the skull, who found it, and where. Yeah, so the skull was originally found. I actually was told that it was actually probably found in 2008. Uh, mm. So it was discovered a while back. So it was discovered by John and Sandra Groot, who found the skull uh, while they were walking with their family along the shores of the Bow River. And then after a while, they got into contact with the Royal Trail Museum, uh, who then came back to the site and were able to find more bones of this animal. And then from then, it just kind of, they collected the bones and then uh, they kind of put it in the cabinets of the Royal Trail Museum. And from there, it just kind of sat there um, until last year sometime when we started to really look at this. And it wasn't until I started to do, uh, when I was starting my, my research project, my master's in early 2018, that I really started to gain a catalog of knowledge that we could start to use to um, 
compare this animal that we now recently named uh, with some of the other tyrannosaurs that we see here in Alberta. So, Jared, what made you go back to that draw the, that drawer with these with these bones in it and take a closer look? Well, I'd kind of seen it before. I'd seen that there were that this was uh, a tyrannosaur from that had been pretty scrappy remains. It had uh, it had part of an upper jaw, stuff like that. It wasn't a complete skull like some of the ones that I was looking at from some of the more common tyrannosaurs. But definitely, when I was look, when I started seeing it at first, I noticed that there were a few features that I couldn't quite account for in any other tyrannosaur species that I had seen, and so it just kind of intrigued me. But I didn't think of anything of it at the time. Uh, but yeah, so after a while, once I started building, when I started figuring out more and more about what features were useful for identifying what species of tyrannosaurs, I started to realize that this, that the features that we saw in this thing were something that we weren't seeing in other in any other tyrannosaur species, either from Alberta or elsewhere in the world. Um, and so, yeah, just kind of from there, it just went to being a, uh, <laughs> looking at that as, a, as an entire project on its own. And then once we finished that up, we realized that, yeah, this is uh, something completely different. This is a new transfer species, which is uh, in the end of what we ended up naming Thanatotheristes. So give, give me an idea, Jared, what that moment is like when you realize that you have something new, something unique here, and um, that excitement that did you, did you look around and go, what the, huh? <laughs> you know? <laughs> it's actually funny. So I've actually... So one of the interesting things is that there's never, there's never really that like one singular aha moment. I've always kind of like likened paleontological research in this level to like um, at least to the actual doing the research, not the digging part. The digging part always has these really cool moments where you just uncover something and it's really excitement. But the actual the paperwork and like writing stuff down has a lot of these very small like kind of the uphill climbs where it's like, wow, that's interesting. That's interesting. That's also interesting. It's just a continuous climb rather than these giant peaks of just pure excitement. So it's just a, a gr- slow climb instead of one solid, uh, one solid giant peak that really just throws you for a loop. Jared, I have to take a break here. Can you hold the line for a couple of minutes? A few more questions coming in on the text line. Is that okay? That's fine, yeah. All right, hold on a second. Jared Voris joining me this afternoon, a PhD student in dinosaur paleontology, the University of Calgary, involved with um, finding this this relative of the Tyrannosaurus rex, the oldest to ever be found in Canada, the first new Tyrannosaur to be discovered here in 50 years. We'll have more with him right after this. Appropriate music when we're talking about the the Reaper of Death, (laughs) apparently, this afternoon. Jared Forrest joining me, PhD student, dinosaur paleontology at the University of Calgary. He's the one that kind of put all the pieces together on, uh, yeah, this Reaper of Death, this uh, this relative of the Tyrannosaurus rex, the oldest to ever be found in Canada, the first new Tyrannosaur to be discovered here in 50 years. He, um, his keen eye recognized the new species, earned him the right to name it. Uh, Jared, I have a couple of questions coming in from my listeners. You good to take them? Absolutely. Okay. It said, uh, this is from Daryl, says, Jay, the, uh, the T-Rex was said to be a real scavenger, uh, almost like, a, like an eagle. Hold on a second, it just disappeared. Um, right. Like an eagle. Would the new T-Rex be more aggressive or a scavenger? Well, I think it's important to first off state that the, there is no real way to determine scavenging versus predation within the fossil record. Um, that being said, there, I will take that back. There is one way that we can tell this, and that is um, from failed predation attempts. Um, and this is something we actually do have evidence for in Tyrannosaurus rex. And T. rex, there are actually uh, a number of different 
fossils where we actually have seen that T. rex has actually bitten onto preadams, so it's like uh, duck-billed dinosaurs and ceratopsids, mm-hmm. um, and the animal actually got away. And so those failed oh. predation attempts, and actually the, the animal actually healed after that. So that indicates that the animal survived a predation attempt by a Tyrannosaurus rex. In fact, one of those individuals um, actually has a tail vertebrae, so the bone is in the tail, actually has a tail vertebrae with a tooth of a T-Rex that I was actually healed over by the bone. And really? actually lodged in the tooth bone and then healed over top of that. So How cool. The kind of the idea that T-Rex was a pure scavenger has actually kind of fallen out of favor is probably more likely to be an opportunistic animal where um, if it had to hunt, it would have hunted, versus if there were uh, come across something dead, it would have eaten that. Um, as for the new Tyrannosaur, it was very likely the same kind of animal, where it was very likely an opportunistic predator as well as an opportunistic scavenger. Okay. So give us an idea, because when I was reading a little bit more about this, um, you know, where the dinosaur skull and jaws were discovered in the, the shore of the, of the Bow River there in mm-hmm. southern Alberta, there were some other um, dinosaur bones found there as well, mm-hmm. if I remember correctly. And those are mostly plant-eating dinosaurs, right? Right. Currently, there's only two named, two dinosaur species that are known, uh, that are, have names that we can identify them to um, in that same formation, which is called the Foremost Formation. Uh, one of those is a horned dinosaur, uh, like Triceratops, but it's called Xenoceratops. Yeah. X-E-N-O. I mean, strange horned face. <laughs> um, and the other one is a dome-headed dinosaur, like a Pachycephalosaurus, uh, which is called Colepiocephaly. Um, and other than those two, we do have teeth of some of the other dinosaur species. So, like, we have teeth of some of the small raptor-like dinosaurs, as well as we have um, teeth of some of the duck-billed dinosaurs, in addition to, like, crocs and turtle shells, that sort of thing. We have a very complex ecosystem that we're only just recently starting to fully understand or to understand in terms of what animals live there. You kind of but, put together the Tyrannosaurus family tree here, aren't you? Exactly. Yeah, <laughs> we're, trying to, we're trying to figure out what's going on uh, from this, this window of time prior to... Uh, all these big Tyrannosaurs. That's the real holy grail when it comes to Tyrannosaur um, paleontology, is finding out how they got big. And well, so that's still a, the question, I guess, the mystery as to where they, when and where they got big. Yeah, and someone wanted to know, um, would, you know, the, the Tyrannosaurus rex that we've, we've talked about, I think, that, you know, is it Scotty? The Scotty, the, the Scotty, big, yeah. yeah, Scotty, the big one. And what a name. I mean, he gets Scotty, you get, you know, Reaper <laughs> of Death. <laughs> yeah. Um, but uh, when, when you look at that, someone wanted to know from, you know, for example, like Scotty, that that T-Rex, that, that big boy, mm-hmm. compared to the one that you've identified, which one would, would win in a fight? Oh, Scotty by far. Oh, just for yeah. sheer size? Oh, no, yeah. Size alone would have, like, eliminated Thanatotherestes from that fight very, very quickly. Um, I guess Thanatotherestes could have speed on its side, as in, like, being able to get away, but it's kind of, a, it's kind of the same argument of saying who would win in a fight, uh, <laughs> a tiger versus a leopard, and the leopard being a very, very small kind of big cat, right? So yeah, yeah. a tiger and a leopard, uh, the tiger's going to win 99 times out of 10. Uh, one, times out of 100. one more question, Jared, before we run out of time. Vic That's wants good. to know, how did you determine, or how was it determined that this was the, the, oldest, um, the, the oldest one found? How do you, how do, you do the, the, the time da- uh, stamp on it? Yeah, so there's a bunch of different ways we can do this. It's kind, of, um, it's kind of comparisons of rock layers. So there's one method is looking at plant pollen, fossilized plant pollen, to look at what species of plants are in those ecosystems and comparing those with other known time zones. The way that we know the exact numerical age is using something called um, radiometric dating. So we, what we do is we look for ash beds from volcanic events where those ash beds had actually um, sent out a whole bunch of different minerals, and those minerals will contain uranium in them. And uranium has a half-life of, uh, I can't remember the exact number, but it's several 
it's a couple billion years, uh, depending on which isotopes you're looking at or which type of uranium you're looking at. And then, so what we can do is we can take the concentration of uranium to its to what uranium would decay to, which is a type of lead, and the ratio of that will give you a, a numerical age on what that rock was. And this, those ash layers don't have a lot of lead in them or a lot of natural lead in them, or at least the minerals that you look for those are, don't have a lot of natural lead in them. There's no space in that crystal. And so when we find those crystals and we see the uranium and the lead together, um, we can take a ratio of that, and that will give us a numerical age on how old or how long ago it was when that uh, ash layer was deposited or when that uranium first came into that mineral. And that is clear as mud, Jared, for some of us. <laughs> <laughs> I know. But thank you so, but thank you so much uh, yeah, for explaining. It, it's fascinating stuff. I look forward to talking to you again sometime in the future. Thank you for joining us this afternoon. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, take care. Jared Forrest joining us uh, this afternoon, 250.